How many played dodgeball when you were little? Ooh. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> but there is a purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this moment in time. Where it's all about you. Your presence has filled this house. Breathe upon us. Touch us. And may we experience you in such a mighty way this morning that when we leave today, we will know we have been in your presence. Thank you, Father. Thank you for answering this prayer. Your name I pray. Amen. We've been going through the series of finding God in the darkness. Our subject this morning has to do with... Uh, yeah, let me see if I can demonstrate it. Hey, would you like the ball? Uh-uh. <laughs> Jesse, like the ball? Uh-uh. Thank you for singing with us today. You were so beautiful like an angel. I have a ball for you. Would you like it? Uh-uh. <laughs> we got a problem here, don't we? Behavioral conflict. Behavioral conflict as far as relational conflict. People ask Fred, what's going on? I don't see a lot of props. Well, I'm going to ask you something. Everybody turn to your left and look that way. Turn to your right and look that way. You have just saw my props. Welcome to God's house, kids, because we're all dysfunctional, and we all have conflicts, and we all have problems, don't we? Amen? Come on. Come on. Amen. Amen. When I thought about this series, it's amazing how the more I read and studied, things seem to surface more and more. My first intent when I thought of this was marriage. Boy, can you think back to those beginnings? Moments of not being heard or not being agreeing. Finding yourself to where you think the other person's even going to turn their back on you. Relationships are tough. When you speak face to face, but still yet the communication it, it is not there. <clears throat> yeah, someone's are smart. I can just see you're all going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, it's not just about adults who have conflict. It's even those with the parents as well, but they have a division line that they put up between them that's almost like a literal wall. And in that wall, 
there are those who witness it and they themselves can experience conflict. Maybe those pictures are one of you. It just doesn't happen to be in the home. You could be at work in an office and, and someone can say, hey, who made the mess in the coffee room? And then all of a sudden you realize everybody's pointing at you. He did it. You did it. Conflict in the business world. Staff meetings that can get out of control. Or when your boss calls you in and say, hey, Fred, we need to do maybe a little one-on-one -on -one time. get like that sometimes. I hope not for everyone. Conflict is prevalent. Has to do with my way and your way. You see, they intersect. And they never seem to come into harmony with one another. They're always intersecting each other. Behavioral conflict. I came across something that read like this. Listen to understand, not necessarily to agree, and definitely not to respond. When I read that, something transpired in my mind of a personal note for me. I haven't shared this with you yet, honey, so. But it's nothing against you. I always wanted to be a good husband. Wanted to be there for my wife. I would take her to work and we would talk afterwards and say, how you doing, how you doing, and this went this way. And, and I remember one day she got in the car after I picked her up. How was your day, hon? Oh, boy. And she shared with me all the problems that transpired throughout that day. Well, I found myself as a good husband needing to try to solve those problems for her. So in turn, I shared with her what I thought should be done. And I think maybe I may have done this more than just once because she said, Honey, I am not asking you to solve my problems. I am just asking you to listen to them. I love you, dear. And I learned my lesson once in that arena. <clears throat> because we do sometimes feel that we're obligated to help solve the problems of the conflicts around us. When really, within ourselves, we have our own conflicts that we don't even deal with. If we were to try to find out what the beginning of this conflict problem was, we'd have to go back even before in the beginning before then because you see there was an angel by the name of Lucifer well let's put that on hold and look at something first before we get into that because I want you to remember these five traits that help us describe that incident about Lucifer himself the five main causes of conflict, selfishness, communication, 
resentment, finger pointing or criticism, unrealistic or distorted expectations. You have it in the flyer in your bulletin. Because when you look at those and now hear the dilemma that fell upon Lucifer, you'll have a pretty good idea of what transpired and you may have to use the note in your bulletin to do that. Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart. Here's the five eyes that we always seem to hear about. I will exalt, or I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Do you see any problems there that reflect the five major problems when it comes to conflicts on your handout? Was there selfishness? Yeah. Communication. In communications, you have to have two parties to communicate. If you think you have all the right answers and you don't communicate and you just hold them to yourself, you're not communicating. If you think you're right and they're wrong, that's not communicating. How about resentment? Was he resent resentful? He wanted to be part of the plan. He wanted to be involved. I'm just as important as your son, Jesus. Finger pointing or criticism. Hmm. I have no long, I have no idea how long this rebellion took place in heaven, but I can imagine only a, over a period of time how the enemy has just spread the seeds of discontent and lies and deceit among the angels with criticism, pointing fingers. Unrealistic or distorted expectations. Come on. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Talk about grandiose expectations. Lucifer had a problem. Don't know where it went bad. Don't know where he took the wrong turn. But he did. As we read the scriptures, there are many texts that we come across, but I want us to be able to look at this one here that kind of helps us close the picture of this rebellion, and it's found in Revelation. Revelation 12, 7 to 9, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. We're all familiar with that, aren't we? 
We've heard the story. I had a study on the devil this week with some good friends. Interesting thing that came out in that study was the devil already knows where he's going. He knows there's a lake of fire waiting for him. He already knows where his destiny is. So the question is asked, why is he still trying to create turmoil and win the battle when he cannot win the battle, right? See, the enemy is one who just works in a deceitful way because he hates God. Bottom line, he hates God. And if there's any way that I wanted to hurt Jesse, would it be far worse for me to beat up on you or to beat up on your young girl, Sophie? Which, which would it be, Jess? Yeah, Sophie. See, God's beating us up, his kids, to get to God. That's the kind of enemy that we are against. We, we look at that and maybe never lose hope of that because there are some texts that we really need to hold on to a promise is John 3, 16. John 14, where I go prepare a place for you. The promises that are in the Bible, but one of the promises that I think that we're all familiar with is found in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Have you heard that text before? If so, do you believe it? Yes, no? If you do believe it, how has it affected you? Has it affected you anyway by believing that text? Has it changed the way you behaved? Has it changed the way that you thought? Yes. That's an altering text. Just to think, folks, God is speaking to you. For I know the plans I have for you and you and you and you and you. God has a plan for you. Does God make junk? No. no. Has he ever made junk? No. no. Does God know what he's doing? No. Yes. We can sit here and go into scripture and say, you know what? That is a wonderful plan. All I have to do is what? Surrender. Surrender. Surrender to him to allow him to take my life, implement his plan into my life. But it's not that easy. Should be. Should be. 
But it's not that easy. Let's take from one extreme of, of Lucifer and go to the other end of it. And, and let me just share with you these notes and let you picture in your mind, if you would, what you see as I read to you. This is about Jesus Christ. This is a point in his life where I believe he went through relational conflict even between him and his father. In company with his disciples, the Savior slowly made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Passover moon, broad and full, shone from a cloudless sky. The city of pilgrims' tents was hushed in silence. Do you see it? Put yourself there. Visualize it. Jesus had been earnestly conversing with the disciples and instructing them but as he neared Jerusalem, okay, he's getting closer. As he neared Jerusalem, he became strangely silent. He had often visited this spot for meditation and prayer, but never with a heart so full of sorrow as upon this night of his last agony. As they approached the garden, the disciples had marked the change that came over their master. Never before had they seen him so utterly sad and silent. As he proceeded, the strange sadness deepened, yet they dared not question him as to the cause. His form swayed as if he were about to fall. Upon reaching the garden, the disciples looked anxiously for his usual place of retirement and their that their master might rest. Every step that he took was labored with effort. Are, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this picture of your Savior? He groaned aloud as if suffering under the pressure of a terrible burden. Twice, twice his companions supported him so that he, or he would have fallen to the earth. Near the entrance of the garden, Jesus left all but three of the disciples staying. Bidding them to pray for themselves and for him with Peter, James, and John he entered its secluded recesses. Jesus desired for them to spend the night with him in prayer. Yet he could not bear that even they should witness the agony that he was about to endure. As Christ felt his unity with the Father broken up, he feared that in his human nature he would be unable to endure the coming conflict with the powers of darkness. Going a little further 
he fell with his face to the ground. His face to the ground. And prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Listen. Yet not as I will, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and, and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I read that and I say, Lord, you're talking to me. You're talking to me. The spirit. flesh. I stand in the middle of these two. Because I know for myself I am no different than the disciples. I too wrestle with the flesh. I am a sinner. Sinner that God has given me his grace and his love then I know that I will be with him for eternity. Amen? Amen? But yet, I am still a sinner. I still make bad decisions. I still struggle. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Ah. Who was Jesus talking to? His father. There's the antidote right there. Father. Daddy. Only you can do this. Only you can do this, Father. But I know the promise that was given in Jeremiah. You have a plan for me. Right now in Jesus' mind, it looks pretty bleak. How many of you experienced in your life when it looks pretty bleak? And have the ability to say, not my will be done, but yours. What a picture. What a picture for us to see when Jesus at that moment in that garden, the humanness came out of him. But yet he called upon his father, not my will, but your will be done. That gives me direction to when I experience the storms of life, 
That gives you the courage that when you experience the storms of life, and probably most of you here have, Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set up, set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. There's the conflict. Unfortunately, it's internal with us every day. But yet we have an advocate, don't we? We have the Holy Spirit who houses himself within me that I can call upon just like Jesus called upon his Father to be able to gain strength, to be able to make the right decisions, to make the right choice. Because, folks, I believe it was in the garden that victory was won. The results were the cross. It was the garden that Jesus finally made that decision. I choose to continue to fulfill the plan that the Lord put forth and he wants me to do. Therefore, I stand with my shoulders held proud and say, Father, let's go. That's how he was able to hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The victory was won in the garden. Conflict is a part of life. It exists as a reality of any relationship. And it is not necessarily bad. In fact, a relationship with no apparent conflict may be unhealthier than one with frequent conflict. Hmm. Conflicts are crucial events that can weaken or strengthen a relationship. Conflicts can be productive, creating deeper understanding, closeness, and respect, or they can be destructive, causing resentment, hostility, and divorce. How the conflicts get resolved how the conflicts, here, here's the key, how they get resolved, folks, not how many occur, is a critical factor in determining whether relationship will be healthy or unhealthy, mutually satisfying or unsatisfying, friendly or unfriendly, deep or shallow, intimate or cold. Conflicts run all the way from minor unimportant differences to critical fights, the full gamut. But there are conflicts of needs, wants, and preferences, interests, opinions, beliefs, and values. Wherever you look, wherever you turn, conflicts are there. And they affect us every day. So this morning I'm going to ask two people to come up here and share a little bit from their story. Verna, Luke. Give them courage, folks. <laughs> who, who wants to stand up and share about your conflicts?
I know Becky says, I'd rather walk a mile around this conflict. I ain't going to do that. I, I commend them. I commend them. I commend them. We make sure when you talk, you bring that microphone to your Th mouth. Thank you for inviting us. A lot of you may know Verna and Lou Hunt. You've seen them here at church multiple times. So I'm going to ask this question. Verna, how long have you and Lou been married? Which time? What do you mean, which time? Uh... We got divorced, we got married, we got divorced, we got married. How many times is that? I sense a little conflict. We got divorced again. And then we got married. Three times. Three times. Three times. I'm going to come right at the very beginning and say, we're going to try to find God in the darkness. Did you see, just, I'm going to have you tell your story, but did you see God in this darkness? Not so much at the time. Not at the time. Not at the time. The very beginning, the first time we were married, I didn't have God at all in my life, and so I didn't see no God in the darkness or anything. Okay, so you, then, yeah. you didn't have a walk with him? No. And I kind of abandoned my walk in order to marry him. Ooh, in order to marry him. In order to marry him. That, that was that. a conflict I had inside, and... Uh, <laughs> He said something I now know isn't necessarily true, but he said, love conquers all. And I thought, okay. Bring well, the microphones as close as you can. Right? If love conquers all, then God, I was in the car. I'm going to try this. So you threw him out. I threw him out. What event happened at the very beginning in relationship as a married couple that seemed to all of a sudden take your breath away? Our firstborn, after two and a half years, was born blind with brain damage and we didn't know it at the very beginning other than I did know he was blind I could tell there was something wrong with his eyes I didn't want to believe that so when I was holding him I looked at him and then one eye was all iris with a way off center dot for a pupil the other eye was all pupil with a tiny rim of blue around it. So it was like, okay, he can't see. The doctors didn't notice it until my 12th week, and it was my last time visiting, and I said, hey, would you, <laughs> would you look at his eyes? So they did, and they s sent us to Children's, and that was a long process, and poor Aaron, he had to endure laying on a bench and, or a bed, and the doctors all had notebooks, and we're talking a string of about 15 doctors that went through. They clamped his eyes open. He screamed bloody murder. I couldn't stand it. I had to leave the hospital. He finally fell asleep, and they all got in there with their little things to look and drew pictures. We did, they didn't know what was wrong with him. It was a new syndrome. But he didn't have any retinas. He didn't have any optical nerve. A lot of people think that you can replace eyeballs nowadays, but with no optical nerve, it's impossible. Yeah. How were you dealing with this, Lou? Um, I, I just didn't want to believe it at first, and afterwards, uh, it, it shook up my life. I wasn't expecting my firstborn to be that way. Uh, uh, it was a disappointment. There was a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety and fear and concern and 
We were taking them all over the state of Washington, Spokane, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, having different doctors look at him. And uh, before I finally realized that, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's handicapped, he's multi-handicapped, and uh, that's the way he's gonna be. He was multi-handicapped to the point where uh, 95% of what you learn is from your sight. Okay, so that means he has 5% that he can learn otherwise. Well, with a bad, damaged brain, he didn't know how to do anything, so um, he just kind of laid on his back. And he didn't travel at first. We finally put a blanket under him to make him reach for the edges and got the blanket bigger and bigger, and he scooted around on his back until, until we worked with him. Yeah. Okay. What was, it, what was it like in your relationship as a couple during all this? I think uh, the relationship started to deteriorate uh, about that time, because that's about, well, he was a newborn, and we'd already been uh, away from God and doing worldly things, uh, alcohol, drugs, all that type of stuff, mainly drugs for me, but alcohol for both of us, and entertaining and doing lots of trying to escape. things like that. Trying to escape. You were yeah, in trying denial? To escape. What's that? You were in denial? I was in denial, yeah. <coughs> it was hard because, you know, I needed, I needed his support, and he kind of was emotionally not there because I think he blamed himself because mm. of his past. <coughs> yeah, I thought it was my fault. Um, I really did. So it was yeah. hard for him to partake and help. And what, what next transpired in your life at that point? Kind of like a blow for you. I can't remember. <laughs> well, we uh, from that point we moved over to Seattle. Oh yeah. We were living in Ephrata, Washington. That's where we were buried, and uh, Aaron was born. I uh, was Ephrata, and so then we moved over to Seattle to be closer to Children's Hospital. Wasn't there a fear that possibly if you had another child, that this child would be just like Aaron? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you um, decided not to have any more children, right? No. 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 <laughs> You know, I prayed, okay, God's coming back now for me because who do I have to rely on? I, can, I don't know what to do. Um, so, you know, I'm, we took genetic counseling. They said, you know, your percent is higher, but we don't think it's genetic. But it still could be, so I thought, I prayed, and I thought, you know what? If we can do this once, we can do this twice. And then I got pregnant, so... Well, it was kind of a surprise, though. And along came? Along came Andrea. Andrea. This is like three and a half years later. Mm. Was she blind? No. No. And she was a healthy little baby? baby? Great. Healthy, strong-willed baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have one that doesn't do much of anything and one that wants to do everything she's not supposed to do. Yeah, I was a total surprise. I mean, from having Aaron, who was so mellow and quiet and just hardly gotten away or you ever, you ever saw him and all of a sudden we have this daughter that's all over the place. It's like two different worlds. Wow. <laughs> it's hard. I, I don't want to bring up the negative part of the aspect of this picture, but at what point then did this first separation happen of your divorce? Uh, let's see, we moved to Seattle and again, alcohol was a continuous part of my life and her, her life too. And uh, 
there, there was a point where we were drifting apart and... Uh, uh, Actually, it was right after the birth. <laughs> right after the birth, yeah, right after the birth. And, yeah. and she, we owned a house in Renton at that time. Yeah. She was born in Renton, Washington. I bought a house there and we bought a house there. And uh, so she moved out, moved to Auburn, Washington, which was south of Renton. And I helped her move. <laughs> yeah. So now you have two children. I have two children. Two children. And I'm by myself. And Lou's diploma? Uh, I'm, I'm in uh, Renton still at that time. I, eventually I did go to Tacoma. How was your relationship with God at that time? Uh, still very little. I mean, I, she had tried to teach me through the year, those few years, some about God. I knew very little because uh, my parents didn't ever teach me anything about God or any, anybody else. I was from Metropolitan Seattle, so people, most of the people I hung around with, nobody believed in God. <laughs> so well, here I am. I'm a single mom with a few-month-old baby and a child that doesn't walk who's over four. So everything I did was one child on each hip, yeah. and Aaron luckily had a growth hormone as well, so he didn't grow very fast, and so he was kind of yeah. stuck as a little tiny baby, but I, did I, get, did, I, I didn't have anybody with me, so I was living in a, or maybe this was helping, it was a pastor's house, the church owned it, and so I wound up on my knees for hours in the morning because it was like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And then I started getting ideas that things I could try with Aaron. And, uh, and I just felt as if on the days that I forgot to make kneel and pray that there was just something not right. And I'd go all day thinking something's just not right. And I'd go back and get on my knees and it was like that was what was missing. And Lou came and visited me one time. And we talked. We were having... A real spiritual talk mm -hmm. and I was sharing him with how God was helping me in all the areas and um, well that is that during the time where you're glowing yeah. yeah and she was glowing and uh, I didn't know God at all and it scared me I had never seen anything like that Satan was apparently at, now I know now Satan was trying to discourage me from listening to her and and believing and seeing this beautiful, radiant person as, 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 as she was. And it scared me to death, so we ended up, I ended up leaving. I know that we could probably stand here this morning and be quite lengthy, so I just wanted to, from that, you guys got remarried then, right? We got, yes, we A couple we years did. later, yeah. A couple years yeah. later, because one thing is, is that even though we split up, we, we, never, uh, we never fought in terms of, you know, we, the doors. We didn't even need the court system. We, we didn't need the court system. We just leave. We leave. Walked away. Yeah. So the kids and grew up and now become teenagers. Some older than. Yeah. 18. Yeah. Aaron's the oldest. Aaron's the oldest. Yeah. He was in a home affiliate. I mean, a home assisting for the blind and the physically, right? Um, yes. He went to the school for the blind for a long period of time, and then back home at 16. And we had Andrea then. And we had Andrea. And that's <laughs> the time then we got back together and we bought a house in Tacoma, South Tacoma and then Federal Way. And Federal Way, he, went, he was going to school for the blind. And uh, we eventually, 
I got a promotion on a job over here and we moved over to Tri-Cities with the kids at that okay. point. So now the rest of the story is happily ever after. Then, right? right here. Yeah, our daughter, um, he started doing things again that were not right and I decided to go check and see how come, what could we do for this one who had a problem with his drinking. <laughs> a friend and I went and um, guess what? I wound up an inpatient. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all the, time I was all the time I was laughing. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, it wasn't funny. It was very serious. Of course God, it was. <laughs> God had just, he, he let me know right away that when that lady said to me, when can you go find two weeks and come back and go into inpatient? And I said, lady, if I leave, I'll never come back. So, so I they, asked. So they kept you there. They kept me there. Yeah. I know in our discussion that we had, and just for the time's sake here, you guys went to another rocky road as far and as where we divorced again. We divorced, again. divorced again. I left. I went back to Seattle. Okay. Yeah, our daughter was having bulimia, and um, so it was really hard because I couldn't work on the marriage and work on the kids. So I had to say, hey, they need me. You're an adult. You know what you're doing or what not doing. And we split. Yeah, that was hard. Difficult choice, wasn't it? Yeah. Difficult choice. And this time, it was for a long duration of time, not just a few months, a year. It was for six, seven years. Ten years, honey. Ten years, so, okay. So time ten passes, years. and then you come together again. Right. Yeah. And you get married. Right. And you this make some choices as far as fighting these demons that seem to have a hold of you with your addiction. Yeah, right? I quit drinking. And you quit drinking. I, I want, Lou, I want you to share... Okay. Your story, well, as far as you say, the last... The last drink I had was about 13 years ago, and I told this story before, and I'm, some of you might have heard it here, is God had been trying to knock on my door. I still wasn't quite really with God. Uh, I was trying to read the Bible a little bit, but I didn't know what to read. Still, I didn't understand it. It wasn't clear to you, was it? Yeah, it he wasn't very clear, but all of a sudden... I take, I take, I'm living in a flop house in Richland by myself, and there's other roommates with me in other rooms. And I drove to the store and bought a big can of beer, and they put it in a bag. High potency. High potency. I sat it down on my car seat, went home, got out of the car, picked up the bag, and the bag was full of beer all the way around the can. So the can apparently leaked. I thought, well, it must have got a hole in it. And I, and I hadn't had a drink for a while because I'd been going through uh, AA and other programs too. So I said, darn it, I want that beer. So I threw it away, ran back down to the store, checked the can out real good, put it on the counter. She put it in another bag. I threw it in there and got in the car. I made sure there was nothing on the seat sharp, anything that was puncturing it. I drove back to the house, started to get out of the car, opened up the pulled up the bag, and it was full of water again around the can. There was no holes that I could find. It was just completely water around our beer. So I threw it out, and I'm, I'm a pretty a compulsive person. So I mean, I mean, people by then would think they got the picture clear. Right, but right. But not you. No, but not me, not me. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I'm compulsive, and I, it takes me a lot of bangs in the head to finally get, catch on to things sometimes. And so I said, back to the store. And so back to the store I went. 
and this is the third can of beer. So I got to put it up on the counter and said, there's no way this can's going to do that. It's impossible. It can't happen. Put it in a bag, put it down on the car seat, drove back home, and got out of the car, and lo and behold, I went to pick up the bag. The beer was completely around the can again, and I dropped it, and I haven't had a drink since then. Amen. God was talking to me, and he was just beginning to really talk to me. He'd always been talking to me all my life. I never realized it, I just not till later. But he was talking to me, and he wanted me to start listening and start following his directions and get closer to him and start learning about him. And uh, it wasn't long after that that we got talking again. And uh, he was actually going to church. He was. On I started going. Fire. To, I started going I mean, to church with some some other friends, and my life was changing quite a bit. But I was still having a lot of doubts. I was using that prayer. Lord, help me overcome my disbelief over and over and over again because Satan was still trying to keep me. He didn't want me to go away from him. He didn't want me to not be part of his life. And so, uh, anyway, we get finally get back together. I enjoyed Last the time, time that we sat and talked the other night because talk about a point of recapping, looking back and seeing life. You said 2020 now. Right. 2020. So I'm going to ask you the question. Did you see God in the darkness of that period of time from the beginning to now? And if so, shortly, when? Oh, I don't know what I said, Fred. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you know, even though I threw God out of my, my heart, even though I threw God out of my heart, he, he really didn't go. And I was really happy to see that he hadn't left me because, man, my life's a mess. I don't know what to do. I'm just a human. And he so showed me superhuman things that could be done for my child and put me in touch with this church put me, my son in touch with Camp Mybenen far before we knew about yeah, the see, church. To be even have come to this church was a miracle in itself because yeah. of our son actually brought us to this church. Yeah, if you look at it that way. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that we were in the presence of all these um, Seventh-day Adventists who were so loving. Loving, caring. Yeah. And no, I, I think I knew God was there because he would talk, he would guide me. Um, I just, when we sat down and talked about it that night, it was like, oh, wow, he actually never left. He really never left, even though I pulled away so many times. It, it's interesting how you say that. If we take the scripture text from Jeremiah and say, I have a plan for you. Yeah. You deviate by your own choices from that plan. God doesn't say, oh, forget it mm -mm. and throw it away. He's still there. He's still there. So after all of this is said and done, do you believe that God has a plan for you? Oh, Most yes. definitely. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I know this day and every day in my heart, every time I have a problem, every time I have a good day, I know that there's a plan. I know that he's in, in control of my life, and I just have to ask him and just and praise him. And listen. Yeah. Would, would you have made these choices if you had the right opportunity to in the past? 
Did you make the choices that you had made? I don't know. Probably addictions, drinking. Oh, you no. have made those no, choices. No, 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 no. 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 Oh, of course not. It, it's hard to be able to look at some kind of a problem area, especially in the storms of life, and consider that part of God's plan, isn't it? How could God's plan be in all of the struggle, in all of the pain, in all the suffering, in all the things that we live through? How could God's plan be in that? But see, God looks from the beginning to the end. That's what I love about him. Yeah. He Fred, wants us up in heaven, doesn't he? Fred, I have to say that if I hadn't had this blind child, I would not be the person I am because there were so many times when he was doing his echolalia, parroting, that he would say what I said to him as a small little four-year-old, exactly the way I said it. And it was not a pretty picture. So I kept getting this mirror in my face that said, Take a look at you, take a look at you, and change. I couldn't, but God could. Well, I'm so happy that the two of you are in this church today. We're happy to be here. You are going to be a valuable asset that God can use. I truly believe it. You have been weathered. <laughs> you have been experienced of the trials and the struggles of life. And I think this is where it's so precious to be able to have those who may be younger who are struggling in areas yeah. as well that we could tap into those who have gone through things yes, and to share the wisdom and to share the opportunities and say boy i've been there i know what it's like and by the way through my years of uh being away from god i had a lot of people try to touch me and i was feeling the touches i was feeling the touches all along it hadn't been for people that hung with me and continued to, to believe in me. I, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be in a mental institution. I'd be an alcoholic. Uh, but people believed in me, and I, I sensed it. I felt it. My heart was always big. And that's what I said. I want that. I want that. I really wanted that bad. Okay. Do I understand then? You say this church, that this church is made up of people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, these people. So it's the people. It's, it's the, the people. people that reached out and touched yes. you. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Walking in for the first time with me, I was with Joe Kostoff. I just yeah. happened to be working her job. She had her first son, and I worked her job. And we came in, and oh, my goodness, I'd never been in, first of all, never been into a structure, which was a no-no for my church I grew up in. And so here, she's holding my hand coming in here, and I just got so much love. I knew I wanted to come back. We never know, folks, who we influence. No. No. Gestures of a smile, of a touch, of a hug, of a greeting, of a welcome. That's what I love about this church. Yeah. It's genuine, it's real, it's transparent. Fred, just for a minute here, we, for about a year or two, walked away from this church thinking we'd try other churches. Okay, all right. And looking for something better. We were looking for something better. And we were going to mega churches and we were just a number. There was there was no none of the love, none of this contact that there was in this church. So the church is in the building, is it? Yeah. It's a family. It's family. We love you and we, we thank you that you are here and thank you for sharing with us today. You're welcome. Thank you.
takes courage, folks, to be able to get up and do that. Conflicts and relationships begin with many reasons. Before you try to fix a conflict, you need to find the root cause of it. Reminds me of those four words that I share with you that I have in my study. Belief, thoughts, feelings, behavior. If you have a conflict, just don't change the behavior. It doesn't work. You got to find the root cause of what it is. Many times people focus on the surface of the problem, not the cause of it. This may for a while numb the symptoms, avoid the fights, but eventually the problem will continue. I know for young couples who are starting marriage, that's a very hard difficulty to be able to be honest with and transparent about. For your own peace of mind, please be aware that all relationships have disagreements. Conflict does not mean your relationship is a failure. You hear that? Conflict does not mean that your relationship is a failure. God doesn't make failures. Amen? Amen. He makes children who are vulnerable to the influence of life, to the influence of the world. Don't focus on the failures because you're not a failure. You're a work in progress. You're a work in progress, Lou, Verna. We're a work in progress. God doesn't make failures. Also, conflict does not mean that you can't be happy. Healthy relationships grow and mature through conflict. Is that true? Maturity. If you want to get mature and grow together, you sure will not choose a conflict in order to do it. But God will allow it so that you can be better person and a couple for it. And I'm sure a lot of you are sitting here right now saying amen to that. If I had to do it over, I would not have chosen that. But I thank the Lord that it happened because it is because of that that I stand here today. It's when we have our 2020 vision and look back and say, Lord, thank you for always being there. For never forsaking me. Even when I felt lost and empty and alone, you were there. May I, like Jesus, come to the point in our relationship, Father, not my will be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. I thank you for your spirit and your breath that you breathed upon us. For as the song shares with us, Lord, we need you every moment of every hour of every day. We can't do it by ourselves. I don't want to do it by myself. May I surrender to you, Father, and realize the joys and the blessings of the plan that you have for each one of us as we draw close to you and love you and accept you into our life more and more and more every day. Be with us, Father, as we leave here. 
May we be lights and witnesses for you and the community and all the world around us. And we just thank you again for this time that you share with us. Draw close to us this week. Keep us in your care. In your loving Son's name I pray. Amen.